Greetings to listeners all around the world. Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing's podcast number 143 on November 23rd of 2023. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. In today's podcast, I will be answering four interesting investment questions. The objective of my books, my website, and my podcasts are to show all those seeking financial independence how to become informed, confident, successful, self-directed investors. Question number one. Why do speculators choose to ignore the proven benefits of only investing in dividend stocks? A dividend is paid out of profits. The purpose of a company is to make a profit. It would seem logical that companies who are not profitable would be unattractive to investors. What better way is there to identify profitable companies than to only invest in companies paying dividends? Unless a company can become profitable in a reasonable time, they will fail, and you will lose what you have invested in them. Investing in the penny stocks of mining companies who have yet to dig a hole in the ground or tech companies who have yet to attract a customer is gambling. Their shares must be sold on their speculative potential to eventually realize a profit. The stock promoters drag out all the one in a thousand speculative stock stories where the initial investors made it big and were generously rewarded. Yes, there are large profitable companies who choose not to pay dividends. The reason they usually give for doing so is that they want their profits devoted to increasing the performance of the company. These large, non-dividend paying companies are attractive to those who think only buying and selling shares is what investing in the stock market is all about. Why invest in such companies who do not see a necessity for a benefit in sharing their profits with their shareholders through dependable dividends? Most non-dividend-paying companies work hard at attracting speculative shareholders whose objective is to sell that share they have just bought at a higher price if they can. This is often not possible because share prices can fluctuate. Such investors worry that every dip in such a company's stock is a sign of a massive sell-off. This often results in selling the stock at a price lower than what they paid for it. If the stock does rise and they then sell it at a profit, they now have the challenge of finding another stock to gamble on. 
Being able to get the timing of buying and selling is very difficult. I believe that a study reported that 90% of speculators lose money over time. It is so much easier to invest in a proven, profitable stock who has paid ever-rising dividends from their profits for decades. What is it that drives speculators to gamble? Is it a matter of trying to prove they are smarter than those that they see as safe plotters? Is it the thrill of winning a bet and being able to brag about it? They treat the stock market like a casino instead of like owners of a business that they have a stake in. This is a stake in a company's profitable future. Question number two. Are investment advisors worth the money you pay them? Despite their honeyed promises that they will only cost you 1% of your portfolio's value, do not be surprised after looking carefully at all the charges appearing in your monthly statements that they have eaten up between 2% and 4% of your investment portfolio's value. They do this every year that you use their so-called services. On a million-dollar portfolio, this translates out to be between $20,000 to $40,000 of your wealth. It is doubtful in a year that your advisor would spend five hours with you or working on your portfolio for five hours. Are they really worth the $4,000 to $8,000 an hour that you are paying them? What are you supposed to get for this expense? It is supposed to save you the time of researching the best investments for your money. Unfortunately, the word best is a relative term open to wide interpretation. What is best? For the advisor, it might be the investment that best rewards the advisor and the firm he works for. It is best for putting the most money into their pockets, not necessarily your pocket. For example, few advisors will advise investing in individual stocks because their corporate lawyers fear lawsuits that arise from an advisor's poor choice in an individual stock. Most advisors do not have much experience in picking individual stocks. Mutual funds are far easier to defend in court. Is this why most portfolios are made up of mutual funds? It is also so much easier to sell the fuzzy sizzle of a mutual fund with hundreds of stocks in it. So many stocks that an analysis of a fund becomes almost meaningless. A specific stock where so much easy information is available might make it too easy for a client to question the advisor's choice. 
supposedly you are tapping into your advisor's depth of knowledge. Unfortunately, knowledge is also a relative term. Has this investment advisor ever worked as an executive in a large public corporation? Does your advisor really understand commercial risk, the controlling of expenses, and how executives control expenses and increase corporate revenues to achieve profits? Too many advisors can only repeat what they've read in a book. They lack any real hands-on experience in running a large public corporation. Otherwise, they would not be working as an investment advisor. The strength of investment advisors is supposedly in removing emotional bias from the selection and management of your portfolio. The idea that stock scoring systems and software can do a better job of removing emotional bias is something they choose to ignore. Scoring simplifies stock choice and removes any necessity for an advisor's involvement in a client's investments. To quote Warren Buffett, perhaps the greatest investor of all time, he sees advisors as being motivated to make investing seem more complicated so they can earn more money. Quoting Warren, It's amazing how hard people make what is a simple game. But of course, if they told everyone what a simple game it was, 90% of the income of the people that were speaking would disappear. Buffett advises that investors should choose historically successful, low-cost investments and avoid fees that drain their portfolios. Question number three. What stocks traded on the New York Stock Exchange have raised their share prices and their dividend payouts every year for the last 20 years. If you go to the investment guide, New York Stock Exchange's 106 Best High Dividend Stocks, it takes only a few minutes to go through the share price histories of all 106 stocks. You will find that there is not one stock that has shown a constant increase in share price over the last 20 years. The data was compiled in September of 2022. You will find some who come close to achieving continuous growth, but the 2008 and 2020 market crashes caused almost every stock price to fall back. Often, they recovered the following year and their share prices achieved new record highs. The loss of price momentum is understandable. Share prices are set by the interaction between pessimistic and optimistic speculators placing buy or sell bids 
in the stock market. To buy a stock, someone must be willing to sell the stock you wish to acquire. You are buying it because you think the share price is going to increase. However, the seller thinks the share price is going to decline. Market crashes are caused by fearful speculators. What you will find if you go through the New York Stock Exchange's 106 best high dividend stocks is that there are several stocks whose dividend payouts have increased every year. Here are just a few you come across as you go alphabetically through the list. Number one, Chevron Corporation. In 2002, the dividend payout was 35 cents per share. Each year since then, the payout increased by 5 cents to 10 cents until it reached $1.42 in 2022. This is a stock that Berkshire Hathaway has a large investment in. Although Berkshire does not pay a dividend, they sure like stocks that pay dividends. Chevron's IDM score was 63 out of a possible 100. The highest score I've ever calculated was a 78. The lowest was an 8. And I avoid stocks scoring under 50. Number 2. Enterprise Products. In 2002, the dividend payout was 17 cents. It rose each year by 2 to 5 cents until it reached a peak of 47 cents in 2022. Its IDM score was 62. Number 3. International Business Machine Corporation. In 2002, the dividend payout was 14 cents. It usually rose 5 cents to 12 cents each year, and by 2022, it had a dividend payout of $1.65. Its IDM score was 63. Several Canadian stocks that are traded in both the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange have similar long histories of ever-increasing dividend payouts since 2002. Two examples would be BCE Incorporated and Enbridge. It is easy to identify these stocks in the alpha sort of the book Canadian High Dividend Investing. Unlike share prices that are controlled by speculators, dividend payout amounts are conscious decisions made by the executives of a company who take great pride in presenting their shareholders with ever-increasing dividend payouts. Question number four. How do I escape my serious financial problems? A debtor who takes on more debt than they can afford 
can get caught in a sophisticated, relentless collection machine. The debtor has a legal responsibility to live up to the agreement they reached with creditors to repay that debt. Coping with debt problems depends on which country you are in, how deeply you are in debt, and how great your income is, what assets you own, and your attitude. If your creditors are banks or large companies, as much as 5% of their consumer debt gets written off to bad debt each year. You're just one of millions of debtors who are not paying creditors as you are legally required to do. If their efforts to get you to pay fail, they will place you with a third-party collection agency in three to four months after you stop paying them. Since the creditor could end up paying the collection agency a third of whatever is collected, they would always prefer to negotiate a settlement of the debt than to involve a third party in their efforts to get paid. Creditors are also reluctant to spend the money to go through the court system to get a judgment that would allow them to seize the debtor's assets to sell and then recoup their loss. To get to a trial can take years. Court costs are often not recovered. Before the legal action gets to court, the debtor's assets may evaporate and there will be nothing to seize or the debtor may become formally bankrupt. If a legal judgment is won in court, it allows a creditor to legally seize a debtor's assets for the next 20 years. If they cannot find any assets to seize, there are some speculative entrepreneurs who buy such judgments for pennies on the dollar and follow the debtor's finances for those 20 years waiting to seize any asset the debtor may acquire. One option may be bankruptcy or doing your best to disappear. Bankruptcy no longer has the negative stigma it used to have. We no longer have debtors' prisons. Society accepts that a mistake was made and allows the bankrupt to start over with a clean slate. It costs money to go bankrupt. Trustees in bankruptcy do not work for free. Shop around for the best price. Credit reporting agencies will report a debtor's bankruptcy for up to seven years before it is removed from their credit report. While you may have some trouble getting credit from some creditors, other creditors will see that you now have no debt and are less of a credit risk. If the debtor cannot easily be found, skip tracers are given contingency incentives to find the debtor. If the amount owed is large enough to make their expense worthwhile, they will persist in finding you for years, reviewing your file every few months. If you do skip, be prepared to move each time it appears that a skip tracer has tracked you down. If they do reach you, tell them you do not owe the money and that they should sue you 
then disappear again. If they cannot find you, then they cannot serve the writ. If they do serve the writ, you are then obligated to appear at the set trial date. If you do not appear, the judge will grant a default judgment to the creditor. If your debt is small, the creditor will usually just write it off as uncollectible. Or, if they are efficient, they will sell the debt to a third party who will now pursue it. Your avoidance of creditors does not go on forever. There is a statute of limitations which varies in where you are located. It might be two to seven years. If they have not started legal action within that period, they can legally do nothing. During this phase, never offer to pay one penny towards a debt, or the total debt will again be legally due for another seven years. There are some people, commonly referred to as deadbeats, who deliberately never pay debts. They know all the tricks to avoid paying bills and think they are cleverer than the creditors. They are the exception. Usually, about 85% of the populations pay their creditors according to terms. It is the remaining 15% who provide various degrees of difficulty in getting paid. Creditors have become very sophisticated. There is a credit report available on every adult in North America. Through scoring systems, large creditors make decisions on how much risk they want to take. If they need to increase revenues, they will loosen credit and sell more marginal accounts. They can predict how much bad debt they will be taking on and what it is going to cost them. If you have financial problems, the first thing is to face the reality, meet with your creditors, and work out a solution. They may be more cooperative than you thought they would be. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. Thank you.